This is April Federico with Brownies for Breakfast, and today we have Fitz Kohler. Fitz Kohler is among the most prominent and compelling fitness experts and race announcers in America. With a master's degree in exercise and sports sciences and decades of experiences teaching fitness worldwide, Fitz has helped countless people live better and longer by making fitness understandable, attainable, and fun. She has spent decades building her brand and business Fitzness and has earned global reach and financial freedom. Her mission is to help others live better and longer, and but her tactics frequently do. Yeah, change. that's good. You told them enough about me. Okay. <laughs> that's enough, enough. All right. <laughs> Thank okay. you for having me on your show, April. Yeah, no problem. And um, so Fitz, I first want to um say thank you for being on my podcast and um tell us a bit about your breast cancer journey and what what was that like for you physically, emotionally, and spill the tea, if you will. Yeah, so that's a big question. Uh unpacks a lot there, but uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2019, seven weeks after a crystal clear mammogram. So I was one of those interesting people doing most everything right, never perfect, but exercising regularly, eating mostly the right foods, not smoking, but almost never drinking. And I found the lump. I got out of the shower seven weeks after that mammogram and I rubbed my underboob and I found it and uh, it was terrifying. So most importantly, I took action immediately. I didn't call my mom and cry and I didn't Google it. I just picked up the phone and called the doctor. And within a week, that phone call led to doctor appointments, followed by mammogram, followed by ultrasound and biopsy. And then a surgeon called my house and said, hey, Fitz, I'm so sorry, but uh, that mass has tested positive for cancer and it's already spread to your lymph nodes. So it's running through you like wildfire. It's very aggressive. So we are going to need to treat you immediately and aggressively. And they did. So it was uh it was rough going. Nobody likes to be told they're sick. I know mm-hmm. you talked to diabe- diabetics, which is a brutal disease. You know, fortunately for me with cancer, and hopefully it was short term, you know, I had 15 months of nasty, miserable chemotherapy, radiation and surgeries. Diabetes is for life, right? It's constant management. So um, nobody likes to hear that. But we have choices when given that news. And most importantly, our choices, I believe, start number one with controlling what we can. And so uh, I decided once my doctor said, hey, we have a cure for you, which is really good because, you know, with cancer, you can only live so long, I hear. But um, I decided to control what I could. So I couldn't control the fact that I had this nasty diagnosis and I couldn't control the fact that I had to do certain things to survive. But I could control my mindset and then I could control my behavior. And endless studies prove that exercise and quality nutrition can get cancer patients closer to remission and prevent recurrence. And so with that type of power at my fingertips, and there's no nasty side effects of eating some strawberries, right? Of eating mm-hmm. these healthy food, I wasn't going to lose my hair because of that. And I wasn't going to get sick because of that. I decided to continue with my fitness training because I knew it was best for my overall uh, prognosis and much like with diabetes, right? You get that diagnosis, whether it's type one or type two, they say, Hey, exercise and quality nutrition are going to have to be a part of your, uh, considerations each day, or this is going to go bad. And so 
I, I chose that. And then I chose perspective. You know, for me, it was somebody always has it worse, you know? So I was a grown up with cancer. I wasn't a baby with cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I live in Gainesville, Florida, where the University of Florida is. And we have a pediatric oncology unit. And there are so many babies in that building with cancer. And so I figured if the baby's got it and they've done nothing wrong. I'm certainly not going to have a pity party over my cancer. So did I cry? I did. Was I stressed? I did. Did I ever ask why me? Never, not once, not ever. I just decided, okay, this is what I have. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best I can with it. Uh, I chose to pursue my passions and uh, I chose to stay positive as much as I could. And, and those things were really beneficial. In fact, that's where the books came from, right? I've got one, two, three different books, the Cancer Comeback series. And, uh, you know, I, I took my, my, my lessons learned with mental fortitude and obviously my fitness expertise, and I poured them into the books to help other cancer patients get through it and, and get back to living well after it. Amazing. And first of all, you are inspirational. Oh my goodness. I wish I had you when I was diagnosed with diabetes, but I know they're two completely different illnesses, but, um, but you know what? Whatever, whether you get hit by a bus or you get cancer, you get struck by lightning or you have diabetes, it's, it's your health. You know, if somebody just says your health, you know, it's, you're not healthy. And then even though before that, maybe you wanted money or fame or beauty or whatever it is, all you're thinking is, wait, 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 all I just want to be is healthy. If you give me health, I don't need the fancy car, right? It's, there's a lot of similarities between what you go through and what I went through. Exactly. I mean, when I was first diagnosed with diabetes, and most of my audience knows this, but um, I went through periods of time where I would just like cry profusely on my bed. Then one, then at one point, I was sitting on my bed at like one a.m. in tears. I felt I documented it, put it on TikTok, and <laughs> the whole nine yards. I wasn't trying to get attention from it, but like, um, just trying to connect with people. Exactly. And, but that's the moment where I finally said to myself, like, I can either bitch and moan about this or I can do something about it. Yeah. So I decided to one, educate and empower the public about this illness. Nice. And you did that as well with cancer. I mean, you published books. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. You know what? I think um, (laughs) they say misery enjoys company and, you know, it's, it, it's true. And nobody, nobody wants to be in this cancer club. I didn't want to be in the cancer club. I'm now in this club full of people and only we know what it's like to go through this. You may have seen cancer. You may have had your favorite family member die of cancer, but until you've had it, there's no way to wrap your, your head around it. And I'm, I know it's the same thing for diabetes or ALS or MS or whatever. So to have that community of people that understand you, who maybe have been through similar things or different things, and you can just, you know, you can connect without feeling pathetic or strange or weird. It's, I think it's really valuable. And then of course, uh, you know, I've done this and you've done it. It's making lemonade. So I don't, people say like, oh, it all happened for a reason. And I think, no, no, I do not believe some magic man in the sky looked at me and planted a seed of doom in my boob. You know, it was like her, <laughs> let's give her, uh, <laughs> I don't think that happened at all. And if I just survived it and got on with my life, then so be it. But, you know, I, I, I tend to make lemonade 
And, uh, and, and my career is about helping people live better and longer. And so with this knowledge and this experience, why would I not pay it forward? That would have been really derelict of me. So I'm glad you're doing it too. Exactly. I mean, I teach my clients this all the time. It's like, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and neither were your healthy habits. So what habits did you, what exactly did you implement um, in your lifestyle to, you know, basically be who you were again? if you ever lost yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's, there's a couple of things. So when I was diagnosed, I was committed to my kids, Mm -hmm. my career, and my career puts me on a plane most weekends of the year, most weeks of the year, either as a keynote speaker or a race announcer. So, you know, hosting the Los Angeles marathon or speaking to a big corporation. And I decided cancer may take my hair it may take my good feelings for a while, but it's not taking my career. I've worked too hard. Those stages I stand on are coveted. That's my income. I'm not letting it go. And uh, I'm not going to miss out on time with my kids. And so those two things were really important to me, um, but also my health and my fitness. You know, nobody wants to watch themselves waste away. And so I was committed to doing the best to stay in shape. And so at some point, I my, my treatment was broken up into a few pieces, but the first six months I called the mean chemo. I've got these four wicked, nasty drugs every three weeks. There were nine hour chemo sessions and they obliterated me. They, every morsel on my body was destroyed in some regard. Of course I was bald and I had no lashes and my eyes changed colors and my fingernails ripped off. And I was just violently ill sleeping on the bathroom floor. And it was awful and traveling in those conditions too. Um, so when I got to my sixth and final round of the mean chemo, before I took off on my next 15 rounds of other chemo that was nicknamed Godzilla, but I showed up to my doctor and he had to visit with me before uh, and take my blood and look at the, look at how my systems were going before he allowed me to go get chemo every, every time. So he said, Fitz, you are doing so great. And I was not doing great. I mean, I was off. I was in God awful shape. And I looked at him, I said, Dr. Gordon, why are you saying that? He said, no, because you're doing great. I'm so proud of you. And he said, I'm not doing great. Every morsel on my body has been destroyed in some regard. Why are you saying that? He said, Fitz, I'm not saying you haven't suffered. You have suffered greatly. And that's true. He said, however, you have had more travel and an adventure than most healthy people do in a decade. You have been all over this country doing the things you want to do. He said, If you are not so healthy and fit coming into this and committed to health and fitness through the process, he said, you wouldn't have been able to get on those planes. You wouldn't have been able to get on those stages. He said, you might have been hospitalized for a month. The drugs I give you are the nastiest drugs I give anybody. Many people are hospitalized long term. You might have been prone to infection. You might have had a feeding tube. But because of your exercise and nutrition and commitment to rest and so forth, you I've done great. So I'm not saying you didn't suffer. What I'm saying is comparatively, you have done great. And so for me, that was a big light bulb moment where I thought, oh, okay, (laughs) it could be worse. (laughs) I didn't even realize there was a worse version of where I was. Um, So there's that. And then a few months later, so I had new chemo, which wreaked havoc in a different way and radiation and surgery. And so the weight started falling off. And so some, com- some cancer patients pack on weight during treatment. Oh yeah. I was not one of those. I, I became a little skeleton and a little bald, scrappy little skeleton. And, uh, it was, 
it was weird. It was weird to look at myself, but post-surgery, when my doctor, my surgeon gave me permission to get back in the gym, I walked back in the gym, a little, little happy skeleton, so happy to be there. And I sat down on a machine and I put the pin where it used to be and I pushed and nothing happened. I could not move this thing. And then I dropped the pin, I pushed, nothing happened. And what I found is I, I had lost 80% of my strength. So if I was pushing 100 previously, I could only push 20. I was weak. And it was a real uh-oh moment. You know, it was one of those where I thought, oh, you know, I looked at myself and kept thinking, what, what is happening to you? But then to watch my my strength diminish so so vastly. So what I had thought at that point is this is a point where most people would run out of the gym, get in their car, go home, crying, hide in bed and give up. But instead for me, I thought, well, I'm going to build myself back up. I know exactly how to build myself back up. This is what I do. This is who I am. And I'm going to get it back and I'm going to be athletic again. And I was And a, a year or so after finishing chemo, I ran the Boston Marathon. I did a great job rebuilding my body. But at that very same moment, sitting on that machine, when I was feeling cocky for me, I had this epiphany that said, what would it be like if I wasn't a fitness expert? What, what about my millions of peers, millions and millions of cancer patients of all types of cancer that have been brutalized by their treatment and their disease, and they have no idea how to get back to living well and having vibrancy? I mean, even if you survive, what are you left with? You're left in shambles. And so- that's where your healthy cancer comeback was born. I decided there's, there, I have to use my expertise and my experience mm-hmm. and, and pour that into other people who need the help. And so, um, yeah, that, that was, there was a couple of moments there. And then for me, it became baby steps, you know, control what you can do what you can. I never pushed myself too hard. I just took these little micro steps to push my fitness and my health forward. And eventually I got there. Wow. That is amazing. And mm-hmm. I mean, that certainly happened to me um, um, when I was trying to get back into like the fitness groove. And yeah. just before I was diagnosed with diabetes, I didn't work out. And like, in fact, I was afraid to, because like I deep down, I knew there was something wrong with my body Okay, and I was just too stubborn to get it checked out until it was almost too late. And you're probably thinking like, why the hell would you do that? But like, of course I do. Of course I do. But that's what most people do. They're ostrich. They put their head in the sand. They don't go to the doctor. They don't check their bodies. They don't listen to those alarms going off in your body that says, help, something's wrong, right? Exactly. And and like, to be honest, I was afraid of doctors. And because like, I knew, because like, I thought it would be something like, you know, cancer, but it wasn't. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just type two diabetes, but it could have killed me. Yeah. Yeah. Bite. Diabetes is rough. And, uh, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. I used to be on the um, leadership council for the Diabetes Institute at the University of Florida. Oh, and yeah. uh, it was a great opportunity to learn even more about the di- about diabetes. Why does your pancreas just commit suicide for type one? And, you know, <laughs> how do you how do you how do you reverse some of these symptoms? You know, what, what can you do to manage it? And it's interesting with, with cancer for so many types of cancer, they've got great cures. They need to find cures for all types of cancer. Right. But then there's also like, can you make this cure a little less brutal? (laughs) Do, Do I have to be dragged behind a horse for 15 months to be cured? And so the same thing with diabetes, can you have more gentle ways to check your blood sugar and, 
uh, more uh, simple ways to treat your diabetes. I, I just, uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done and it's scary. You're right. It's very scary. And to answer your question, can it be less brutal? And honestly, it can be. And I'm going to show you right now. So I have the Freestyle Libre. Okay. Yeah. You can yep. Yep. There. Yeah. It's so much easier than finger pricking. Like I did the whole finger prick for like two months. And then finally my um, diabetes educator was like, you don't have to do that anymore. Just get the Freestyle Libre. Now, once the catheter goes in via your, uh, your device, how long does it stay in your arm? 14 days. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's such so, an so it's a poke twice a month versus multiple a day. Pretty much. Yeah. And it just goes in your arm pain-free. I mean, it's great. Yeah. So basically what you do is just, you scan it like this. So crazy. Oops. See, right now my blood sugar is in the normal range. It's a 98. Okay. That's great. Yeah. And yeah. And like, basically I had the right mindset going in. Um, well, not at first, obviously, like yeah. you said, you cried. And I mean, I mean, it's, it's a normal response. I yeah. mean, and the fact of the matter is, is that like, it's like I said in the beginning, like you can either bitch and moan about it or you can do something about it. Right. And, um, I do have a question for you. Ask. Yeah. Um, how did you create fitness? Fitness. Ah, so I've been teaching fitness since I was uh, almost 15. That's right. Oh, I ran. Really? I, yeah, I, I tore my, my ACL playing soccer, had surgery, went to physical therapy and that PT said, you need to join a gym and keep the strength training going, or you're going to re-injure your knee playing sports. So I did. And I fell in love with it. And I'd been working on Cinnabon at Cinnabon in the mall previously. And I had this real mean manager and Ronnie, I did not like her at all. And Aww. so I quit. <laughs> I applied <laughs> at the gym. And thankfully they hired me, which was great. And so we're at fitness. So I started teaching early when I went on. And then I think I was about 20 when I, I started hosting a TV show. It's called Cardio Jam, Cardio Jam, group fitness instructors. And then I went on to do a separate project that was just mine. So Cardio Jam, there were a handful of, of us instructors and we alternated teaching. And so for this project, I kept trying to come up with a name. What am I going to call it? What, what I, and then I don't know how it dawned on me. Just Fitzness popped into my head. My name is Fitz. I mean, it's my, it's my real name and it just happened. And so I trademarked it pretty close to uh, right away. And it's mine, man. Uh, what a wonderful Irish gift. Now it's one of those really annoying things where people are like, is it really your name? And what's wrong with your parents? <laughs> rah, rah, rah. So that storytelling gets old, but what a great gift, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, fitness. Yeah. It's my brand. It works perfectly. <laughs> oh, thank you. It is. I love it. Yeah. And um, you mentioned that you ran the Boston Marathon. I mean, side note, I am from Massachusetts originally. Okay. And um, yeah. How did you manage to, um, you know, build the stamina to eventually run the Boston Marathon? Like, how did you find that glimmer of hope? You know what? Uh, it's funny. I never wanted to run a full marathon, even though I'm a race announcer, my bread and butter, most of my income comes from hosting full marathons. 
I had run plenty of half marathons before and obstacle course races and, and so forth, but I never crossed the finish line of a half marathon and thought, gee whiz, I'd like to do that again right now. And that would have equaled a marathon. Like you cross a half and you keep going. And I just thought not enticing to me. So when I finished chemo, I had, I had been building up my fitness. I I was still, I mean, I, I was, I was still a little skeleton when I finished, but I'd done a Spartan race a month after I finished chemo. And then the next week I did a triathlon and I sucked wind through the whole thing. But a few months later, I was working with um, one of the greatest American marathoners on earth, Meb Kofleski. I had him on the fitness show and this group, Boston Buddies, their leader, Vince, he reached out to me by phone. He said, hey, Vince, that was a great interview. I said, oh, thanks so much. He said, I got a question for you. I said, "Okay." He goes for the Boston Buddies. There's a uh, we have a charity. It's called The Second Step. They're a domestic violence support nonprofit. They specifically asked if you would run the Boston Marathon for them. And I went, ah, <laughs> ah. and they said, no, they went, it's going to be great. And we'll help you fundraise. And I thought, oh, gosh. And what I had always said before is, I don't know if I really want to run a marathon, but maybe I would do Boston if it was for a good cause. And then hands on me on a silver platter. So I cursed him out. And then I said, when do you need to know? And he said, by the end of the week, I said, give me 24 hours. So I thought about it. And what I thought is, why not? Why not? After cancer, nothing will be scary again. The only thing that would scare me is something happening to my children, right? Even if they get a cold, I'm like, oh, I feel it. But for me, I'm just not afraid. And so I thought, well, the Boston Marathon is certainly not harder than cancer. It's not harder than chemo. It's, you know, at worst, it's six hours of running and walking where I had nine hours of chemo and I had to live with it for almost a year and a half. So I just decided, okay, and got started. So I had already built up a basic level of fitness at that point. Um, but I did what other people do. I just started off a walk. I ran, I ran and walked a short distance. And then every week I started increasing the distance and I was working on my strength training and stretching to support all that. And, and I got there and I did it. I wasn't fast. I didn't win anything other than a bunch of pride and joy. And you know, I'm really uh, still very proud about that. It's not my most proud race experience, but it was a good one. So um, yeah, I encourage everybody to step outside their box and don't be the person that says, well, I can't have diabetes. I can't. I see so many of my athletes come through finish line wearing their little devices. We've got a huge uh, blue community, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never heard that before the blue community. Well, isn't that the color of uh, J- JDRF? I they believe blue so. ribbons. Yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah. I know it's the color for diabetes. So there you go. Yeah. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Blue ribbons. Yeah. Okay. Um, we are almost out of time, but um, how can my audience find you? Well, that's a great question. So fitness.com is my home base for everything. If you're just listening, it's F-I-T-Z-N-E-S-S.com. You can find tons of free resources there. If you're just trying to get fit, improve your health. There's a ton of free stuff there. My books are available, signed copies. My online courses are there. I am also at fitness on most social media. So Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I love connecting on LinkedIn. And uh, if you follow me, I promise quality content in return. But what I would rather is for you to follow and then connect and say, I heard you on the Brownies for Breakfast podcast. Uh, Let's connect because I would just much prefer friends to followers. Amazing. 
Well, you are an awesome guest and this has been brownies for breakfast. Thank you.